Well, this week we uh, we got the chance to interview uh, our managing director, Fred Roeder, about intellectual property and patents, um, which is maybe doesn't sound like the most riveting topic, but uh, it's actually pretty important and pretty uh, relevant given the conversations about intellectual property and cures or vaccines for COVID. So we got the chance to pick his brain. Uh, he's a health economist uh, by training. And so, uh, yeah, I got the chance to pick his brain, ask some questions about IP and how this whole process works for finding a cure. It's quite complicated. So um, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy that. Awesome. We'll throw it to it right now. So uh, we'll go to live Yael and now to recorded Yael. Roll the clip, Jamie. America, America, America. We're all living in America, America. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Uh, we are very proud to have our colleague, Managing Director of Consumer Choice Center, Fred Roda, who is here on the line. We got him on video. Fred, sir, welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. Yet another episode. Hello, welcome. Hi from London. Good to talk to you, Fred. And uh, David and I wanted to get you on because there's a lot of things that we've been producing and writing. And uh, you had a great article. Uh, this one was in CapEx, uh, The Folly of Opposing Patents on a COVID Vaccine. We're hearing a lot about pharmaceutical drugs. We're hearing a lot about accessibility. And now we're hearing in various jurisdictions about patents and whether or not they should even exist and whether intellectual property as an idea should even matter with everything that we're facing. So I wanted to get you on and we want to discuss your article and figure out your ideas about this. So tell us, tell us what's happening here in this whole space. Sure. Let's do this. So there, there are many civil society groups, but also politicians or journalists who currently see the COVID-19 crisis. And they're very worried about people having actually access to patient, uh, to medicines and to vaccines and uh, they basically asked that at least for COVID-19, both treatments, drugs, and also vaccines should not be allowed to have any patents. This is currently the discussion. And uh, one group which is really loud about this is Doctors Without Borders, an organization I really admire. They managed to raise over a billion dollars a year from private donors to help uh, during health crises in especially low and middle income countries. So this is a great organization, but I think they got their stance on fighting intellectual property rights wrong. The reason why we have very bad healthcare systems in a lot of low and middle income countries is not because of the existence of patents, but it's actually because of high tariffs and taxes you have to pay in these countries to even import pharmaceuticals and to sell them. You have very bad healthcare infrastructure, uh, rundown hospitals, not enough doctors. So these are the real problems. And what we need to keep in mind when especially facing the crisis right now is it's not the problem that there is a really expensive drug to treat COVID-19 or a vaccine no one can afford. The problem is we do not really know, have something that helps us to cure this disease yet or we don't have a ready-to-go vaccine. So what we actually need is incentives to produce this. And by abolishing exactly those incentives, which is intellectual property, which is the right to profit from your invention, uh, we disincentivize companies, researchers, and investors to put more resources behind getting, out of, uh, getting us out of this crisis as quickly as possible. So 
I mean, the cynics on the other side of this debate will say, well, if we have if we have intellectual property kind of hold true for this, the company that finds the vaccine or let's say a cure is going to use that patent and basically gouge the world um, to recover. Uh, based on your knowledge and expertise, is that likely? Are there examples that show us that that isn't the case, that, that companies can find cures um, with IP and not end up in a scenario like that? Yes, absolutely. So right now there are over two dozen companies that uh, try to find cures and vaccines, working vaccines for COVID-19. And some of these companies have a very interesting track record of already inventing and developing vaccines and also treatments for viral diseases. And it's usually that pharmaceutical companies make actual profits and sell their drugs at high prices only in a handful of countries. These are countries where patients can actually afford this. The United States, Germany, the UK, France, Japan, and most other countries are receiving most of these drugs basically at production cost, which is not very high. If you, for instance, look at Gilead, a pharmaceutical company from San Francisco, they currently have also a drug uh, in trials which might help to uh, reduce the uh, mortality rate of COVID-19. Uh, it's not really clear if that works yet, but the same company has also drugs against hepatitis C, which really cures your hepatitis C. And they sell it for quite a high price in some uh, developed countries like the US or Germany. But in most countries, they give it away uh, for just a few hundred dollars for the entire treatment cycle. So um, they just give it to other companies in India or in South America um, to sell it at a much lower price. And if I say much lower, it's like 70 times lower than in developed countries. So if you're actually concerned about poor people in low and middle income countries having access to treatments, vaccines, and cures, you can actually see that companies that are able to make a profit of their drug in some wealthy countries also have the ability to almost donate or give these drugs uh, away uh, at, at cost in many uh, developing countries. You can see the same for HIV and many other diseases. So philanthropy in this industry is actually very large because the companies do not want that patients don't have access, but they also need to make some money because it costs about $2 billion to bring a drug to the market. And vaccines even are a bit more specific because a lot of vaccines are public-private partnerships. So it's often the government teaming up with these innovative companies and helping to fund the development of this. And then there's usually agreement that um, this patent for the vaccine can also be used by other companies or the vaccine can be distributed at an already given price uh, to patients. Uh, we could see this, for instance, with the Ebola vaccine, uh, which I, I believe Gilead actually also have, has uh, one Ebola vaccine. Um, so this shouldn't be too much a problem, but what is dangerous is taking the incentive away for companies to actually own a patent afterwards, because then no one would want to make this, these massive investments anymore. And right now what we need is more investments and more incentives to cure diseases. I might, have, I might repeat myself, but we so far can only cure 5% of all known diseases. And that means 95% of diseases we cannot cure yet. And COVID-19 is one of these uh, diseases where we're now basically shutting down the world economy because we don't know how to cope with it. And we need to accelerate access 
and uh, to, to medicine and vaccines, but we can only do this by first accelerating the research because we don't even know what will come out and how this drug is going to look like. And it's the private sector developing these things. Yeah. And I think uh, if you, I, I guess it was almost two, three months ago, Fred, we had you on the program and we were talking about um, the Carol Baskins virus. Uh, we call it the COVID. Um, that's our name for it. Um, we talked about that and sort of how it was developing, how it was spreading across, how it was affecting economies. Um, you are a health economist by training. One thing that we're hearing a lot about is essentially in some places we need to flatten the curve and all of this, and we, we need to do it as long as there's no vaccine, uh, which is you know not at all what, the, what we were told in the beginning. Um, I'm just kind of wondering, what is the process for developing these vaccines right now? Like how many of these companies are trying to do it? Are we going to see more innovation from some of these companies or is it all just Bill Gates? Are we just waiting on Bill Gates to come up with the, the solution to everything? You know, how is that working? Yeah, so there, there are dozens of companies currently working in a, on a vaccine and they all have potentially different approaches towards it. It's trial and error. And most of these companies will fail and their investments will uh, fail. I mean, they will lose money by trying to find a vaccine for COVID-19. And uh, some of these companies now receive also public support. Um, and even as a small government person, I would say, you know, investing taxpayers' money in developing a vaccine for this uh, disease which cripples our economy is probably not the worst use of money. Uh, it's probably better than paying another year and a half for lowering schemes and <laughs> bailing out uh, other industries. Um, and then basically how this works is some clinical trials have already started for some of these companies where they actually want to see if they're way of using antibodies or whatever they do uh, works to create some immunity towards uh, COVID-19. Um, then once they've figured this out, they need to uh, get approval for the vaccine, which probably will happen quickly because there's a political will to accelerate approvals from, for instance, the FDA in the US or the European Medicines Agency in Europe. Uh, usually these things take years. Right now, these things go overnight. It's very interesting that this is possible now, which hasn't been possible half a year ago. Um, but then we also need to figure out how to mass produce these vaccines. And there were, for instance, some news that some uh, parts of a vaccine can be actually grown in tobacco plants. So um, I, I believe one company in, North, uh, in Kentucky is working on this. Um, so you basically need to, because you need to have billions of doses, right? And that's not just that you switch on a factory and produce it because you have also biological components of this. Because usually what you do is to put a very weak strain or a dead strain, non-active strain of the virus, or something you bioengineered, which looks like it, into the human body. And then your body reacts in a way that it creates antibodies for the, uh, for the actual virus. Um, everyone who had the flu shot know, has, knows how this works. So, um, But mass producing this, so even if we might have good news in a couple of months that a vaccine has been found effective, mass manufacturing this numbers of billions uh, will not happen overnight, but that's probably a process of, who knows, six to 12 months. And then you also need to distribute it. I've been once in a warehouse for vaccines, which was a wholesaler for vaccines, and it has a very complicated cooling chain. You need to make sure the vaccine is not exposed to light. It needs to be stored at a certain temperature. You cannot shake it too much. Uh, so this is a very complicated uh, logistical problem as well, which will probably work fairly well in countries that have regular annual flu shots, such as most European countries, the US, Canada. But then again, countries in low and middle income countries will have the problem of a lack of healthcare infrastructure. 
So there might be full warehouses somewhere in Nigeria with a vaccine, but they don't know how to get it to the patients without the vaccine getting damaged or being invalid. And uh, this is something definitely also organizations such as the Bill Gates Foundation and the Global Alliance for Vaccines, Gavi, which is also co-funded by the Gates Foundation, um, it has an important role because they try to figure out how to get this to people. Um, yeah, but I mean, there are many players who are working on a vaccine and probably before people get vaccinated, it, it will at least take another year, even if we have very quick progress now, because it's not just producing an aspirin pill, but it's actually like a biological process. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit more complicated than just sending out around pills. And how, and how does the complication of producing the vaccine play into intellectual property? Because I asked that question, I know that in Canada, the federal government suspended the Patent Act, and that always, essentially they did it so that generic manufacturers, once the generic manufacturers would be permitted to basically create anything that the government deemed necessary without respecting intellectual property or the patents. Uh, I always thought that that was kind of silly because uh, even if you were to give these generic companies, let's say the blueprints to create a vaccine, they don't necessarily have the institutional knowledge or supply chain access to actually manufacture it at scale. Um, Does that play into the the issue of, of, in terms of a vaccine, you've explained that it's very complicated to make, but does getting rid of uh, intellectual property basically open the door to further mistakes or maybe firms or companies that are trying to manufacture manufacture uh, these vaccines without proper processes or anything along those lines? Absolutely. And um, again, like manufacturing a vaccine is not easy and supply chain just like from where you grow the uh, components that go into the vaccine to how you store it and how you manufacture the uh, liquid so it's usually in liquid um it depends how the vaccine has been built but probably will be an injection and that that definitely requires a lot of know-how um so you probably create more time lags by just giving taking the know-how or the, the the patent and giving it to other companies because they have not been involved in the research and usually while you conduct all your research and try to develop the product you also define how your supply chain looks like and the distribution of it. Um, so that definitely creates uh, time lags. Probably Canadian companies can figure this out because they're sophisticated, but looking at developing countries, the question is also if there's even the know-how how to uh, manufacture this vaccine once you've taken away the patent. Um, but the bigger risk is just if you start doing this, you just stifle future medical innovation and you know, the COVID-19 is not the last virus this earth will see. New things will emerge. And we need to have a very, very innovative biotech and pharmaceutical research sector uh, that we are able to quickly uh, overcome these problems. And I mean, at a, we, we've seen manufacturing problems just like the simple products such as test kits and uh, personal protection equipment where a lot of like, you know, millions of PPE and testing kits have been shipped to the UK and the US and Belgium and Germany. And then once they sell, they, these things usually come from China and they're basically faulty. Yeah, they just don't work. And uh, that, that shows how important good manufacturing practices and uh, know-how are. And 
you only incentivize people investing in manufacturing practices and um, know-how if they know they can own their innovation. Definitely true. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM. We've been speaking with Fred Roda. He is uh, the Managing Director of Consumer Choice Center, health economist by training. The article we're discussing is the folly of opposing patents on a COVID vaccine. That's on CapEx. We'll share the link either below if you're watching on video or audio if you're listening to our radio show or podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Fred Cyrus Roder. Fred, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Cheers. We're all living in America, America, this wonderbar. We're all living in America, America, America. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, Big Talker, 106.7 FM. A great interview with Fred. Uh, the article that we discussed in CapEx, uh, we'll link to that, obviously, in the description of the program here. And if you're listening on the radio or online, you can find that at consumerchoiceradio.com.